Take your Bibles to the book of Luke, your Bible to the book of Luke, chapter number four. Today I'd really like to talk to you about really what matters to God. We're all tied up in a presidential election. <clears throat> Inflation, deflation, subflation, and everything else. We worry about what everybody else thinks, very little about what God thinks. Uh, we have nervous breakdowns trying to please everybody in the world except the Lord. You'll never have a breakdown trying to please the Lord. So I want to talk to you this morning about really what does matter to everyone here today. What's important? What's God care about? I'm glad that they sang that song, God Knows and God Cares. Aren't you glad of that? It's very early in our Lord's ministry, the scripture that we've chosen to preach on this morning. The scripture follows just on the tale of him being tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And uh, the devil must have known what was really important because there are three temptations there that the Lord, tempt, that the devil tempted the Lord with. And every one of them, the Lord had a solution, and it was the Word of God. Uh, the only way you can defeat the devil in your life is with the Word of God. And the only way you can have harmony in your life is with the Word of God. And so the Bible, right on the tale of being tempted of the devil, verse 14 of the book of Luke, the Bible says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. This is where he was raised, where he spent his childhood, where he played kick the can with all the kids in the neighborhood, hide and seek at night when everybody else was in bed. And this is where he had grown up. Everybody knew about him. Everybody knew of him. That's the carpenter's kid. That, that, that's Jesus. He, he lived down there at the carpenter shop. He's one been helping his dad in the carpenter shop. He was brought up there. And the Bible says also, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Uh, you, they knew where to find Jesus when it was time for church. Because it was his custom, his habit of life. His father and mother had made it a habit and a custom in the home to take the kids to meet God on the Lord's day. And as his custom was, where we was brought up, they very familiar with him. And the Bible says, very plain, and he went into the synagogue and stood up for to read. Now, if you read into the text, you'll find out what went on in the synagogue and the services. Evidently, in the synagogue, the people all sat down. And uh, one man was in charge of the Word of God. And if somebody wanted to say something, they stood up. 
So this is an unusual occasion for Jesus because this particular time he did not stay seated but stood. And when he stood, it was custom that the man who was in charge of the Word of God handed the Word of God to the man or the person who stood because he had something to say. And as Jesus stood, the man with the word of God proceeded over to our Lord and handed him a copy closed. Now notice in your text, and Jesus began to thumb through the word of God till he found a scripture that he wanted to speak on. The first time Jesus, as I note, has ever stood in the synagogue and taught. The first sermon he ever preached. The first word from heaven has just arrived. And he began to read at a place he found in Isaiah chapter 61. I would say if it's the first message, it must have been on a matter that really mattered. Jesus didn't come just to spend time on the earth. He came with a purpose. And he says to all the synagogues, I want to read you from the book of Isaiah chapter 61 on a matter that really matters. By the way, what really matters to you? Is it a bunch of junk sitting in the parking lot with cruise control and automatic windows? Is it a 50-foot square property that you've built your life around, made up of brick, mortar, and two-by-fours? Is it that little old flimsy checkbook you carry in your back pocket that you have said, it's mine, Mine, mine. You can't have any of it. Really, what matters today? And Jesus said, he opened the book, and he found the place where it was written. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering the sight to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Watch this. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened upon him. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. What really matters? The Bible clearly reveals what is important to our Lord. 
And what is important to our Lord ought to be important to we who call him our Lord. Boy, sometimes we get awful sidetracked, though, do we not? Not anyone here today has not got sidetracked at least one time in their lifetime. That reminds me of the story that a preacher by the name of Clotha Chapel used to preach about years and years ago. And he used to tell this story of two Mississippi River boats that left Memphis, Tennessee, down south going down the Mississippi River. Their destination was New Orleans. And these two uh, paddle boats, as they crawled along the Mississippi River, it says that the sailors on one ship or one boat begin to yahoo the other one because of the snail speed in which they were traveling. And they begin to speak and yell back and forth to one another about how slow they were going. And during all the conversation, they got all whooped up and begin to race down the Mississippi River with two paddle boats on their way to New Orleans. And as they begin to race, they begin to hoorah one another. And one of the boats begin to drift back, suddenly discovered that they had enough coal for the trip, but not enough coal for the race. And they had burnt all their fuel. They begin to fall back. And everyone began to hoorah the boat that was losing. So one enterprising young sailor discovered that the cargo they had burnt as well as the coal. And they began to throw the cargo that they had been paid to take to the port. And they began to throw the cargo in the furnace. And sure enough, boy, that boat began to make speed and gain and gain and gain. And finally, <clears throat> it passed the other boat and won the race. But they burnt their cargo. Kind of remind you of a Christian. God put you on this earth with one life, with one purpose, one goal. And at the funeral, the world says he won the race. But when you stand before God, he says, where's the cargo? What is our cargo? What is our purpose? You see, the thing that really matters to God probably don't matter to us much at all. And the things that really matter to us probably don't matter to God very much at all. Amen? Oh, you say we need our job at the expense of our kids. Oh, we, 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 we have a profession. We need to hang on at the cost of your relationship with your husband or your wife? What matters? You say, well, I didn't win the golf game yesterday. I knew that when you signed up. <laughs> I could have saved you a lot of money and a lot of heartache. I could have told you I wasn't going to win. Because the guys that won, they always cheat. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
I bet it was a relief that I wasn't on that team, right? Because they always say the preacher cheats and wins these things. I wasn't even on the team. I got kicked off of that team. <laughs> I was too good. They were jealous of my backswing. At 76 years old, is my golf game the only thing that matters? Really, what matters? Jesus, at this precious occasion, just like this one here, you, you know, you're not here by chance. You're not here accidentally. You're here because God has deemed that you be here this day. And the synagogue was full that day as the carpenter's son by the name of Jesus for the first time stood in recognition there in front of the synagogue. The minister delivered the book and he delivered the message. Watch this. Here's the message. What really matters? Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And watch this, and to heal the brokenhearted. You know what really matters today? Number one, hearts matter to God today. Hearts, hearts matter. Broken hearts. Hearts that needs mending. Hearts that needs to be understood. Hearts that deserves to be loved by somebody. Hearts that needs to be thrilled. Wouldn't it be something to be thrilled again? Now, some of you folks said, I'll tell you what, I don't, I, when, I, when I touch her now, my bell don't ring. Maybe your clanger's broke. Maybe you just need your clanger to be fixed today. Amen. Somebody said, I need my shuck lit. Well, quit pouring cold water on it all the time, and it might set on fire. But hearts really, really matter today. The Bible talks about the healing of the brokenhearted and bindeth up the wounds. Let me say, most heart complications require intensive care. If you've got a heart problem, you don't put a Band-Aid on it. The problem with the, today's society is they think they can heal everything with a colored band-aid. Now, I've got a little granddaughter, buddy. If, if, if there's anything in the world that'll heal her hurt, it's Paul putting a band-aid on it. It don't make any difference. If she skin her toe, I can put a band-aid on her finger, she's healed automatically. <laughs> Not so with a broken contrite heart not so physical heart condition usually deserves and usually requires intensive care why is it we can take someone who's had a broken heart and we think we can just take them down to the emergency room at the church house and say a prayer over them and everything's all right it don't work that way Jesus said, I made the trip from heaven to heal the brokenhearted. Can anybody say amen? I believe, bless your heart, there's no instant fixes to broken hearts. How many of you fellows when we were young, maybe junior high school, come home with a broken heart? She did it again. She looked at Tommy. Yeah, she's still doing it. A broken heart. 
It requires intensive care. Usually it's caused by neglect, uh, not taking care of themselves. And so I, I just believe that one of the things that really, really matters today are broken hearts. I think our churches are filled with folks with a broken heart. David neglected his spirituality, did he not? David neglected doing what God wanted to do. He should have been all fighting with the soldiers, but instead he is at home watching HBO or pay for view. He had to pay for viewing at that one, amen. And as he watched this crazy, crazy scenario going on next door, David fell deep into rotten, stinking sin, did he not? And he robbed a, a, a woman of her husband, robbed a wife of her home, and David fell into sin. And David, uh, with a broken heart in Psalms 51, you read it sometimes if you'd like, you'd find that David there with a broken heart begins to cry out to God. Uh, Lord, he, uh, he said uh, uh, his joy of the salvation was gone and and uh, like an old hound dog his sin was ever on his trail and at night when he'd go to bed he had no rest because the sin haunted him as all night long and david finally discovered what was really important to god was david can i say that again david discovered in the deep darkest day of his life he found out it wasn't that David had slew a giant. It was not that he had slew the bear and the lion in defense of the sheep. It was not that he was the great shepherd over the Israel. It was not the one who penned the Lord as my shepherd I shall not want. David discovered in the lowest time of his life what really was important was not David's sin, but what was important was David. Psalms says very plainly, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto the cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth him out of all of his troubles. The Lord is nigh them that are of a broken heart and Save us such as with a contrite spirit. What we need to realize today, really what's important to the Lord is you. It's not what you've done. It's not where you've been. It's not how long you've been there. What really moves the heart of God today is you. Your broken heart. Your disappointment. Your hurt. Your issues. That's what's important to God today. It's not how many, how, how many bedrooms your house has. It's not how many storm shelters we can afford. It's not how, kinda, what kind of automobile we have. God loves you, not your junk. And God cares about you. And I'm so glad he does, aren't you? The Bible says this in Isaiah Chapter 57, listen. For the Lord, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, 
whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. But notice, I dwell with those with a contrite spirit and a humble spirit. God says, my desire and my care today is your broken heart. Psychologist, one time asked a mother with five kids, which one do you love the most? And the mother said, I love them all the same. The psychiatrist said, that's impossible. They're all different. They act different. They look different. They smell different. They are different. You cannot love them all the same. The mother said, oh, yes, I love them all the same. When one is sick, I love that one the most. And one is hurt, I love that one the most. And when one is in the most need, I love that one the most. Did you know that God loves us all? but he loves those the most who has a broken and a contrite heart. He came to heal the brokenhearted. Can anybody say amen? I'm glad of that. Why is it necessary that we have broken hearts in this life? Why in the world would God allow someone he loves so much to have a broken heart? Well, maybe it's impossible to appreciate the good unless you've experienced the bad. The only reason I like rice is it because it gives me a good excuse to get on some potatoes. Without the rice, I would never appreciate the potatoes. Can you say amen? You say, I like lice. I don't care if you like lice or rice. I like potatoes. It's impossible to appreciate the God of heaven, unless you've received a little bit of hell on earth. Every once in a while, God has to send a broken heart our way, an issue, bless your heart, a disappointment to make us realize how wonderful and how great God is. By the way, you don't ever think of a mechanic until your car is broke down. When your heart is broken, it always points toward home. By the way, you probably never need a preacher until a crisis comes by. Usually I am out of sight, out of mind, until the husband says, I think I'll leave. See, God is drawn to the tears of the brokenhearted. And here you need to realize God cannot get control until we are out of control. You ever think about that? Why, we never think of God until we get out of control. When things get out of our reach and gets out of our compass of things, we never think about God, but you let us get to where we can't do anything about it. And the first thing we become are tremendous prayer warriors. I told you about the fellow who was having some trouble with his wife. No, his wife was having trouble with him. They came to me, and the wife said, I can't get his attention. I said, does he have any cash laying around anywhere? She said, yes. He's got $42,000 put up. I said, get it. I'll go on on tea. You'll get his attention. It was about two days later till she had his attention, and he came to see the preacher. 
I didn't tell him I told her to do that. No, I was afraid he had a gun. Is there anybody here now? And it seems like you never need a preacher till the ship begins to sink. Or they jump out of that airplane and your chute does not open and you start thinking about the preacher. Why does God send broken hearts our way? To get us to go His way. So really what matters today? What matters today is why you are where you are and has God got you where you are so that you can start looking in the right direction. That's really what matters. Pretty good for a country boy. What really matters? He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. You know, that little toe-headed kid that had wings all these years and a halo, you know, gets up about 16 and starts telling you what he really thinks of you broken heart broken heart when you spend multi thousands of dollars for ball gloves ball bats shoes uniforms and on and on and on he gets tied up in the wrong crowd to junior high and starts smoking dope and tells you where you can go Maybe God's trying to get you to look in another direction. Thou sent me, Jesus said, to heal the brokenhearted. Hearts are important today. Now, you're going to say, preacher, this is a stretch. Since I'm preaching, allow me to stretch it a little, would you? You know what else is important today? Home. Hearts, home. You say, preacher, where do you get that? To preach deliverance to the captives. If I had you raise your hand today, all of you who feel like you are captive in a marriage or a relationship or a home, it would surprise you at the hands that would be raised. God does not mean for our homes to be a prison, but a paradise. Come on now, it ain't time to buy, it ain't time to pray, it's time to look up, say amen. amen. What's really important, he has sent me to set at liberty the captives. Notice what he says. And he says to recover the sight to the white blind. Boy, we got a lot of blind husbands and wives today. And set at liberty them that are what? Be careful the words you say. Keep them soft and sweet. How many folks I've married, how many of you around here heard those words? For you never know from day to day which ones you'll have to eat. Words. Words bruise. Husbands and wives feel like they're 
held captive in a relationship. I believe with all my heart, one of the things that really matters in America are the homes. I believe Satan has captured many of our homes today. Love is mistaken for psychological dependence. We'll put up with everything in the world to feel safe. It's not a matter of love. It's not a matter of doing what God wants to do. We have become psychologically dependent upon one another. Who's going to wash my drawers? Who's going to pick up my dirty socks? After all, he keeps the bills paid. The cats are fed and the parakeet happy. Love ain't all there is to it. No, but it's a majority of the happiness you'll ever have. Homes have been stolen by Satan. Uh, I thought this would be a better point. I'll just jump over it because evidently people's not appreciating it a whole lot. Satan has made homes a place of misery. Satan has sidetracked our homes. And I believe if we don't really see that they matter, they'll be broken, divorced, and kids will be confused as to what marriage really is. I think there's three things need to happen. quickly at our homes and our church. Three things. Notice, if you would, please. Somebody, the husband and wife, one of the two, is going to have to start doing what is right. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Somebody in the home, husband and wife, somebody, is going to have to start doing what God said and do it for the glory of God. Somebody's going to have to start doing right. Somebody's going to have to start implementing in the kids divine biblical principles that will last them throughout their lifetime when mom and dad in a graveyard and the kids have to make decisions. Somebody is going to have to start saying, Thus saith the Lord. As sure as you're here today, kids, good kids, are not accidents. They are planned. They are programmed. They are prayed for. They're planned. And somebody in the home is going to have to start doing what is right. As his custom was, Mary and Joseph built habits in Jesus' life that when it was time to go to church, they took him to church and didn't waste time beating some rag ball on a ball field someplace, excusing you for what you couldn't do when you was a kid, trying to live it through your kid today. Makes me so sick, the daddies out there screaming at their kids, well, can't you hit a ball? How did you hit one when you was a kid? Why aren't you playing D1 ball? 
Why in your name on the ranger rostrum if you were so stinking good when you were a kid? That was free, didn't cost a thing. My soul, daddy's out there yelling to kids, dribble! Can you dribble? With both hands? With your eyes closed? Between three and ten kids? And you making your kid feel like a loser because he can't do it? Somebody is going to have to stand up and start doing what's right at home. Somebody's going to have to take this Bible and read it to the family. Somebody's going to have to pray over the food. Somebody's going to have to start doing what's right if it really matters. And I believe it really matters. Somebody is going to have to do right. Somebody in the home is going to have to act right. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one for the other. We just, somebody stand before me and says, do you take whatever this is to be whatever you two are trying to be? Do you promise to honor, cherish, love, and forsaken all others for her alone? I will perform the duties that a wife owes to her husband until death do us part. I'll try. That's what you really meant. And yet, more spouses feel neglected and rightly are neglected because of a job, a hobby, or something else. You just lied at your wedding ceremony. You bald-faced liar. We don't understand. I need a job. No, you don't understand. You made God a promise that you wouldn't put her over second place. Somebody, I guess I ought to be quiet because this, Kind of, I think it's kind of gone far enough. This is Sunday morning. I ought not be talking like this on Sunday morning. But somebody's going to have to start doing right, acting right, and how about talking right? Talking right. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Somebody's going to have to start talking right. It was the first day on the job for this young man. He was working in the vegetable department 
at a local grocery store. A lady came up to her and said she wanted to buy half a head of lettuce. The young man explained to the lady, Ma'am, we don't sell lettuce by the half. We sell lettuce by the whole. She insisted, I want to buy a half a lettuce. She persuaded the young man. The young man said, well, I'll have to go ask the manager. So off he went to ask the manager, not realizing that the lady was right on his trail. He walked to the back of the store. And he saw his manager and said, Sir, there is an ignorant old woman who's wanting to buy a letter, half a letter lettuce. And he looked the expression on the manager's face and he knew that he had his foot in a hole he couldn't get out of. And he turned around and said, And this lovely young lady wants to buy the other half of the head. What do you think, sir? Amen. Somebody's going to have to start talking right. The manager was so impressed with the young man. Said, son, where are you from? He said, I'm from Canada. The land of the great hockey players and the ugliest women in the world. The manager said, my wife's from Canada. He said, what team did she play for? (laughs) Somebody's going to have to start talking right. Could have an amen. Peter Ducker said the most important thing in in communication is to hear what wasn't being said. We're all good at reading something into something that someone has never intended. A lot of the misery and sadness of this old world could be removed from the home and the family if somebody in the home would start acting right, doing right, and talking right. Jesus said, I have come, I've been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty the captives. Not only is the heart and the home important, don't miss this, the harvest is important. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. With what's going on in this world, don't you think it'd be a good year for Jesus to come back? But no more than we got to vote for for president. Don't you think it'd be good time for Jesus to come back? With husbands forsaking the family, wives forsaking the husbands, and the families forsaking church for little league, no league, big league, and that other league, don't you think it'd be a good time for Jesus to come back? To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The harvest is important. Well, when is the acceptable year of the Lord? Thought you'd never ask. 
2 Corinthians 6 and 2, the Bible says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Salvation matters to the Lord. You, yes, you, not the one beside you, you are important to the Lord. You matter to the Lord. The Bible said, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know how many grandkids I got. I love every one of them. I like to, I like to play jokes on them. Love it. I just love to give little kids their first lemon at the table. I don't take pictures. I just keep a mental deal. I tell you stories about my kids, you'd think they're lies. I got one here today, David, sitting in the balcony. Biggest con, con you've ever seen in your life. We bought him a BB gun. How old was he? Oh, he is, I think he's six months old. I was sitting in the parsonage. That's back when we were so poor. Kids would choose up and lick the donuts. I mean the doorknobs just so they'd have some nourishment. I was sitting and I heard blink. And we had a glass storm door. Had past tense before I bought the gun. Sure enough, David was standing in the backyard about this tall. Shot that BB gun right at that door. I have no doubt he's shooting right at it. That's just in the DNA of my kids, just that way. I was going to yank him up and tear him a brand new story. This is before kids knew to turn him in to the uh, child welfare. Because <laughs> if they'd asked me, I'd have given him David. <laughs> and I went running to the back door, threw that storm open, going to snatch his little red head up and just do him a job on his bumper. And he said, just like I thought, Daddy, I'm not old enough for this gun. <laughs> That's a con job. Con job. You couldn't have whooped him either after that. They grow out of that, they say. But you, and you going to heaven, you having your broken heart healed, and you having a happy home is very important to Christ. That matters to Christ today. So really what's important? What kind of car you got in the parking lot? Not really. Your broken heart is what's important. Your home is what's important. You going to heaven is what's important. All of my little kids, grandkids, and even my kids, I told them very early, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was just dumb, I guess. But I'd tell my kids, I love you this much. Ask any of my grandkids or great-grandkids today how much does Paul love you this much. But God commended his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. 
this much. He took his hands and suffered them to drive nails through his hands, saying, I love you this much. He laid silent as they drove spikes through his ankles to secure him to the cross, saying to us, I love you this much. And it really matters to me that your heart is broken, that your home is happy, and that you become one of the harvest.